Welcome to the Resurrection Church Podcast. Resurrection Church exists for the glory of God and the joy of His people. If you're looking for a church in the upstate of South Carolina, please join us 9 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 900 North Main Street in Greer, South Carolina. We pray you'll be blessed by this message. Happy Mother's Day. We love all of you. If you would, uh, open your Bibles. We're going to continue our study in Acts. We are in Acts one We're going to read today verses 4, back up a little bit, 4 to 11. I'll give you a second to turn there. Acts 4, or chapter 1, verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up, and a cloud took Him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as He went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, And said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jonathan. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms. You look so beautiful this morning. Let's give our moms one more hand, huh? Yeah, bless them. Right for us to honor them. Um, Before I get into the teaching, um, I want to just make you aware, one of our ministry partners uh, is called Evans Training Center, uh, which is a drug and alcohol rehabilitation center right here in, it kind of sits between Greer and Spartanburg, just up 29, Um, and we partner with them, we support them. They were a a big emphasis at our golf tournament this year. Uh, They built a retaining wall that was not built correctly at their new facility just up the road, and they've got to tear it down and rebuild it. Uh, And they're asking for volunteers. They're asking for 50 volunteers from all the churches that support them in this area. Uh, Saturday, May the 20th. So that's next Saturday from 8 to noon. Uh, Mary is going to send out an email like Monday, Tuesday. Can we do that? Is that possible? She's looking at me like, oh, well. Uh, Monday or Tuesday, we'll send out an email with this information. If you're able to help them, uh, the information will be in that email about where to show up. And, and they need able-bodied people. This is going to be some, some grunt labor for about four or five hours. So if you're able to do that, uh, that would be great. And we can let them know maybe how many people are coming from Res Church if you're able to do that. Sound good? Mmm, little grunts. Yeah. yeah. I know that's not how you want to spend your Saturday, but... This is a great ministry that we are proud to support. In fact, the director of the ministry is going to be here with us with some of the guys from the program at the end of June, the last Sunday of June. They're going to be here, so you're going to get to hear from them, okay? Sound good? All right, let's dive in. Uh, Last week, we saw Jesus here at the beginning of the book of Acts do three things. Number one, he gave commands or literally marching orders to his apostles, Luke says, through the Holy Spirit. He presented himself alive, appearing to them by many proofs over a period of 40 days. And then he spoke with his apostles about the kingdom of God. This is the resurrected Lord post his death, post coming out of the tomb, glorified body, presenting himself alive. Folks, we don't just have a a, a testimony of an empty tomb. We actually have historical record that the risen Jesus appeared to hundreds of people over a period of 40 days. Here's why we said this matters. Jesus is really alive. He's really present. 
and he's really still doing stuff. His apostles, if they're going to participate with him in this ongoing kingdom agenda, because you remember what Luke said, Luke wrote a two-volume work, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, and he opens volume two this way. In my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus, what? Began to do and teach. The implication is, this is still going. The mission continues, and if his apostles are going to continue to participate with him in this ongoing mission, they're going to have to have unshakable confidence, a deeply held conviction that he's really alive, he's really present, and he's really still doing stuff. And here's something that I didn't get to last week, but I think it's huge. Huge for them and huge for us. Jesus is appearing, which by implication means what? He's not always there. Or not always, I should say it this way. He's always there, but he's not always visible. He's appearing to them, presenting himself alive by many proofs. Why? Why is he doing that? Here's what I think. I think he's acclimating them to the new dynamic of his ongoing presence with them. He's been with them 24-7 for three and a half years. Physically, tangibly present with him. And actually, the word, while, and I think it's in verse 4, while staying with them, that word staying can also mean eating. Over 40 days, he's eating with them and appearing and presenting. Why? Because he is not only really alive, he's not only going to continue to do stuff, but he's still gonna be with them all the time, but just in a different way. And I think he's acclimating them to that. And I think that's huge for them and that's huge for us because here's what I know. Is Jesus always with us? We know that, don't we? We have a deeply held ironclad conviction that the risen Jesus is always with us. But I'm like you and you're like me. I'm not always as conscious of that as I'd like to be. Is that fair? In other words, my awareness of his presence ebbs and flows. It tends to ebb and flow depending on what activities I'm engaged in. You know, when I'm at church, when I'm worshiping, when I'm reading scripture, when I'm praying, when I'm on a missions trip, I have this heightened sense, this heightened awareness of the risen Lord's presence with me. Anybody experienced that before? Raise your hand. Yeah, all of, lots of you. But when I'm mulching my yard, talked about that last week, when I'm paying bills, when I'm going about ordinary tasks, when I'm planning a vacation, Right? when you're changing a dirty diaper, moms, when the kid just won't go to sleep and it's three in the morning, can I get an amen from the moms? When you're having to take three different kids to three different locations and there's only one you and one car, my my awareness, our awareness of the risen Lord's presence with us tends to ebb and flow. We're not always as conscious of his presence as we'd like to be. And let me say this, Christians, I don't think that's entirely wicked. I don't think we need to beat ourselves up about that. But at the same time, I don't think we need to settle for minimal, inconsistent focus on the great reality that Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, is really alive, he's really still doing stuff, and he is always with us, not in a metaphorical, ethereal sense, but in a very real sense. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 to Christians, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. That doesn't mean that things on earth don't need attending to. They do. And it's right for us to give attention to the things that are necessary for us to attend to on this earth. 
But I think the Apostle Paul was pointing us that we, there should be a trajectory of thought that is with us all the time of the greater realities of Christ, the risen, ascended Lord who's with us all the time. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you love to just have that heightened sense all the time? But I've told you this before. We've talked about this. In the, in the, in the, in the Bible, the narrative accounts, we get compressed accounts of what actually happened. They're almost like highlight reels. In other words, a lot of life is lived in between these incredible epic moments where Jesus makes himself known. And I've experienced that. Just a couple of weeks ago, I got a phone call about, I don't know, 7.30, 8 o'clock. I think we were cooking, we were cooking dinner because it was late. We, we, we just got into dinner a little late that evening. And I got a phone call from a member of our church who had a family member that I've never met, never been to this church, who was dying in the hospital with cancer. And this person asked me or told me that this young lady, or she, she's in her early 50s, that was dying of cancer in the hospital had asked for a pastor to come and would you go? Now it's 7.30, 8 o'clock and I've had a long day. A little empathy, okay? I know I'm a pastor, it's what I do for a living, but a little empathy. So I couldn't get there until about nine o'clock at the hospital that night. And I walked into this room and it's nine o'clock and so it's late. I'm a little tired. I'm also 46 years old. And the older you get, the less inclined you are to beat around the bush. So I pulled up a chair next to this lady who's laying in the bed, dying with cancer. And I never met her before. And I sat down and... I want to say this as graciously and kindly as I possibly can. She looked horrible. She looked horrible. I, I, I won't speculate, but I can tell by looking at this person, she's been into a lot of rough stuff. Her physical appearance was just, it was bad. And so I sat down and I said, You're dying. And what do you think is going to happen when you die? She said, I think I'll go to heaven. I said, why? She said, because I think I've been good enough. And I said, no, you haven't. And I said, I haven't either. And I rehearsed the gospel with her. And we talked. She seemed to understand. And I was not about to lead her into a repeat after me prayer. And I said, here's what we're going to do. I said, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to help you pray. And I want you to cry out to God. If you're really ready to trust him and him alone for salvation and have hope in heaven, have hope in death, then you articulate that to him in your own words. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to help you pray. So I did just that. I prayed about a 10 second prayer. Holy Spirit, help this lady pray. And she articulated one of the most beautiful prayers for salvation I've ever heard in my life. It was probably at about a third or fourth grade level, but it was beautiful. And as she started to pray, I hope you don't think this sounds too mystical. You guys know me and I'm not, I'm not that way. I could smell Jesus. Paul talks about the aroma of Christ. I could smell him. And I opened my eyes as she was praying. And it was like the, the second I opened my eyes, I looked at this woman that had once to me looked so just, can I just say it? Just ugly. Just a body ruined and a life spent on everything but what is godly and righteous. And for a split second, I saw this beautiful woman laying in the hospital bed. Beauty. And I was thinking about that this week and I was driving home one evening and I was thinking about her and this came to my mind as I was thinking about her, you know, her whole life added up to nothing to offer Christ or anyone. And yet she cried out to him. She died this week. And I thought about this, Ephesians chapter one, 
chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Is that not incredible? Jesus made himself known in that moment to this lady. I think we have to have, and I think Jesus wants his apostles and he wants us to have this ironclad conviction. I'm always with you. And sometimes you're going to be more aware of that than others. But I'm always with you. I'm really alive. I'm really present. I'm really still doing stuff. I don't ever want to minimize the reality, the gospel reality that Jesus Christ died for our sins so that we can go to heaven when we die. That's what this lady experienced. She's a lot like the thief on the cross. That all he did was say, Lord, remember me. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. That's awesome. Do you know, here we are, and we are commissioned by Jesus to go in his name. And I think if we're going to do that, if we're going to go about, this is what we've been wrestling with, ordinary days doing ordinary things with anything but an ordinary expectation, hear me out, we're going to have to grow beyond the elementary facets of the gospel. Jesus died for my sins so I can go to heaven when I die. That's true. But there's more to the gospel than that. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Don't just take my word for it. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. That's a lot. But he says, you need to grow beyond that. And this will do if God permits. We don't have to minimize the glorious truth that Jesus Christ did offer himself as a sacrifice for the sins of God's people, that his sacrifice was a wrath-exhausting sacrifice, that the debt has been paid, it is finished, we stand in his righteousness alone, and when we die, Christians, we will be with him in heaven. We don't have to minimize that in order to recognize there's more to the gospel than that. If our understanding of the gospel only includes a past event, Jesus' death, sacrifice, that only or merely provides us with a future hope, we'll go to heaven when we die. If that's where our understanding stops and starts and stops, then here's what I think more than likely is going to happen, Christians. We're going to go about ordinary days doing ordinary things with ordinary expectations. How many of you would like to live an extraordinary life? We got to rehearse some stuff. Let's go back to verse 4. Acts chapter 1. While staying with them, which I said that word could also mean eating, isn't that fascinating? Jesus has got teeth. The resurrected Lord. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I know what we think of when we hear that word baptized. A lot of good Southern Baptists in here, right? Y'all saw Jonathan do that like just a couple of weeks ago, you know, Joseph. I, th I mean, like he, he put you down and pulled you up, man. Like that was just awesome. But the word baptize really just means to immerse or inundate. So here's what Jesus is saying. I've told you, apostles, that because John immersed or inundated you with water, 
There's coming an immersion or an inundation with God, the Holy Spirit. Wow. You see what I mean when I say we've got to grow beyond just our Jesus died for my sins so that I can go to heaven when I die. What does this inundation with the Spirit mean? What does it look like? When did he talk to them about it? Well, actually, Jonathan went there a little bit in his Mother's Day um, acknowledgement. Let's go to John chapter 14. I want us to see where, when, and what Jesus said to them about the Holy Spirit, about the promise of the Holy Spirit, and apparently that a deeper, richer, gooder experience, I did that on purpose, and I'm probably going to do it again, is coming. John chapter 14, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus is talking to his apostles. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If you've got King Jimmy translation, it says many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where where I am you may be also. I hope I don't offend anyone. Yes, I do. I do hope I offend somebody. (laughs) This is not Jesus talking about us getting a mansion in heaven. This is not the verse upon which the song should be sung. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Anybody heard that song before? Okay, right. Will there be mansions in heaven? Maybe, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, this is metaphorical language that Jesus is using to say, I'm going to the cross And I'm going to the cross to make room for you in the Father's house. In other words, I'm going to make room for you to make a way for you to have the kind of relationship that I have with the Father. Because what does he say? If I go away, parentheses, to the cross, I will come again and bring you to what? Not a mansion over a hilltop, to myself. That's what he's talking about, okay? Okay. So let's keep going. Verse 16. And I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither knows, neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. He dwells with you, present tense, right? And will be in you, future tense. What is he saying? Do the apostles and Jesus' disciples have experience with the Spirit by this point? Absolutely they do. We know from the New Testament, nobody can say Jesus is Lord, the apostle Paul writes, except by the Spirit. Have they declared Jesus is Lord? Absolutely. Have they gone out in his name and declared that to others? Absolutely. They've gone out and declared the kingdom. They've healed the sick. They've cast out demons. They've done miracles in his name. They have experience with the spirit. Jesus says to them, he's been with you, but he's going to be in you. Don't overplay that. Okay. Like some people try to parse that out and, and nuance it too much. Here's what I think we simply need to take away. Jesus is saying, I'm going to the Father, I'm, I'm, I'm going to the cross, and I'm going to make room, I'm going to make space in the Father's house for you to be part of the family of God. And then I'm going to ask the Father to fulfill his promise of the Spirit. The Spirit's been with you, you have experience with him, but he's going to be in you. And here's what I simply think we should take away. There's a deeper, richer, gooder coming. Got it? All right, let's keep going. Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet in a little while, the world will, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. He's talking about his death and resurrection. 
little while the world won't see me, but you'll see me. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again, and you will see me. And here's what that resurrection means. You're going to have new life. Tracking? Now look at verse 20. In that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Wow. Folks, the Holy Spirit is not Jesus' replacement therapy. The Spirit, we're going to get to this on Pentecost Sunday in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit was not poured out to give us a pacifier until Jesus returns. Jesus dies, resurrects, and here's what we're going to talk about, and ascends, and he does all of that, pouring out the Spirit so that we not only have a deeper, richer, gooder experience with the Spirit, but also with Jesus and the Father. I'm in you, you in me, and I in the Father. There's this harmonious relationship that we now have with the triune God. Right? Do you think that way? I think most Christians live at the level of, well, I asked Jesus into my heart, and there's something about in the Bible about me being the temple of the Holy Spirit, but all I really know is that because I asked him into my heart, I'm going to go to heaven when I die. We've got to grow beyond that, Christians. Verse 28. You heard me say I'm going away, and I will come to you. Again, death, resurrection. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Now, back to Acts 1. What's happened? Jesus has died. He has risen. He's presented himself alive, appearing to them by many proofs, right? He went away. Now he's come back to them. What's next? The ascension and the outpouring of the spirit and the power to witness. The ascension, the outpouring of the spirit and power to bear witness of the greater realities of Christ that he's really alive, he's really present, and he's really still doing stuff. Jesus is going to the Father, which is gonna be followed by them being inundated with the Spirit, and it's also gonna inaugurate people this deeper, richer, gooder relationship with the Father and the Son. And the Spirit, three in one. Now look how the apostles are wrestling with that. Verse six of Acts one. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, this is after all this talk about the Spirit. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? How many of you have read that and thought to yourself, man, these guys are just slow on the uptake. They're still asking him about when he's going to put Israel back on the map and overthrow Rome and all that stuff. I started to think about this some more. I actually think they're asking a really good question. Let me show you what I mean. I'm going to put this on the screen for sake of time. Ezekiel 36, verse 24. This is what God spoke a whole long time before Acts 1 through the prophet Ezekiel, I will take you from the nations, talking to Israel, and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new, listen carefully, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. 
And then verse 28, you shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Do you see what they're thinking? There's an Old Testament biblical basis for the work of the spirit being coupled with the restoration of Israel. I think these guys are actually endeavoring to think biblically about this. I think they're trying to think biblically about this, but their thinking is off slightly, at least in terms of timing. Let's go back to Acts 1, verse 7. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. Everybody say power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So much we could talk about here. What is ultimately going to happen with ethnic Israel? What about the land? What about the promises God made to Abraham? What about what Paul says in Romans 11 about a remnant in Israel that's been chosen by grace? I'm not going to get into all that because Jesus doesn't get into all that right here. Those are things worth talking about. But I just want to simply point out that Jesus does not look at them and say, guys, you're asking the wrong question. He doesn't ding them. He just simply says, it's not time for all of that yet. So what's it time for, Jesus? It's time for power. Thank you for that one amen. It's time for power to be witnesses of him to the world. It's time for a new kind of union with the triune God that's gonna propel humanity into the church age. It's time for Jesus' ascension. It's time for the outpouring of the Spirit. It's time for power to bear witness. The mission continues. So verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. How many of you watched the coronation of King Charles last weekend? Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed to admit it. Well, a few of you. It's hard for me to overstate how much I don't care about those things. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I kind of glanced at it when Mary was watching it. In fact, I was sitting on the porch with just the screen door closed. And so I, I would kind of look in there every now and then and listen to what was going on. It, it, honestly, uh, I don't know. There might be some people from Great Britain in here. I hope I'm not being offensive, but it, 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 all that pomp and circumstance on the surface to me looks like grown people playing dress up. But here's what's so fascinating. In all of our pomp and circumstance, in all of our fairy tales, and all of our stories and our dreams and our imaginations and our art, there's an echo of greater realities. There's an echo of greater realities. I've said this before. The ascension of Jesus after his resurrection is probably the most neglected and under-celebrated aspect of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't think that it was, though, for these apostles who were standing there. Can you fathom? Standing there watching him ascend and a cloud takes him out of their sight. Remember what Jesus has been doing with them since his resurrection. Luke 24, verse 27, he rehearsed the scriptures with them. Luke 24, verse 44, he said, everything that is written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. What had Jesus told them? What had he rehearsed with them about his coming ascension? I wonder if he didn't go here. This will be on the screen. You can turn there if you like. Daniel chapter seven, verse 13 and 14. 
Daniel writes and says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven. How was he taken up? In a cloud. With the clouds of heaven. We, we, in Acts 1, we get the apostles' perspective of the ascension. In Daniel 7, we're getting heaven's perspective of the ascension. I saw with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Talk about a coronation. Jesus has always been the eternal son of God. He's only and always been the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, and he's only and always been the one who is holding all things together by the word of his power. But in terms of time, are y'all ready to go a little deeper? In terms of time, he has not always been the God-man. He had to be born in time. He had to take on flesh fully. He had to learn obedience by the things that he suffered. He had to live a righteous life. And then he had to die as a propitiatory or wrath-exhausting sacrifice for the sins of God's people. And in time, he had to be resurrected, raised to new life, not with a different body, but with the same body they laid in that tomb. I say this every time I do a graveside funeral now. I, t I look at the family in the eyes and I say this. When you come to this grave marker, you're going to look back. You're going to remember. So there's going to be a focus on the past, the one that you loved. There's also going to be a focus on the present. Because you're going to, as you sit there and you think about the person that you love that has died and the memories that you shared with them, you're also going to think about where you are in relation to that past event. But I said, don't let it just be that. Because if they died in Christ, they're not done with that body. There's going to be a resurrection because Jesus Christ came through death and out the other side. And one day, this mortality is going to put on immortality because that's exactly what he did. It was real, physical. All of that had to happen in time. And in time, Jesus, as the Son of God, has always had all authority. He looked at some folks during the days of his incarnation and he said, listen, before Moses, I am. But the God-man had to ascend to the ancient of days and present himself as the once for all, all-sufficient sacrifice and be crowned king of kings. What was that coronation like? It wasn't grown people playing dress up. In fact, y'all want to read it? Go to Revelation 5. I think God gave John the Revelator a picture of the coronation of Jesus Christ. And where's my time gone? You understand how the book of Revelation works. The, the apostle John is exiled on an island and the Lord is basically opening windows to let John see greater realities. And these greater realities are recorded for us in what is known as apocalyptic literature. It sounds weird. It's a bit like walking through a, an abstract art gallery but this is what John saw, and I think you'll see it too. This is the coronation. This is, I think, the moment 
a picture of the moment where Jesus, the God-man, the risen God-man, ascended to the Ancient of Days. John says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and look into it. And then one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw what? I thought we were talking about a lion. He's the lion and the lamb. He is a conqueror. Make no mistake about it. But he's also a lamb that was led to the slaughter for our sake. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, this is Jesus, the God man, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp. And golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. We could keep going, but I'm out of time. But can you... Feel the magnitude of this moment when Jesus ascends to the ancient of days. And I think by this point in the book of Acts, I think the apostles understood as they watched Jesus ascend and a cloud took him out of their sight, I think he had talked with them enough that they at least had a sense of what was happening. Because look what Peter says. Just turn over a page in Acts 2. We'll get to this more in a couple of weeks. But look what Peter says in his sermon at Pentecost. He says, verse 32, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. So he's testifying of the resurrection, right? How many of you have testified of the resurrection before to someone? Yeah. Probably most of us Christians have done that. Jesus rose. Look at verse 33, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend to the heavens. He's talking about the ascension, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. What's Peter doing? He's bearing witness of the greater realities of Christ with power. And here's the thing, folks. That inundation with power from the spirit, which we're going to look at in a couple of weeks, the moment it actually happens, that came because he ascended. He ascended to the right hand of the father, presented himself before the ancient of days, was given a kingdom, the God man, was given a kingdom which will know no end. He received from the father the promise that was made to Abraham. Well, there's some stuff that I just, we'll get to it. Was made to Abraham, the promise of the spirit. And then it was poured out on all who call on his name. Not just the 120 in the upper room, but for all of us here this morning who are in Christ. That same power to bear witness I am in the Father, 
and you and me and I and you. Is that how you think about going in his name as you scatter from here? I told you last week, I'm personally struggling with this. Struggling sounds too negative. I'm wrestling with this. I'm wrestling with this because I, like you, find myself more days than not going about ordinary days, doing ordinary things with ordinary expectations. But I'm, I feel like the Lord is leaning us, leading us to consider not just that Jesus died for our sins so that we can go to heaven when we die, not minimizing that. That's glorious. That we stand in his righteousness and his righteousness alone. Right? That's beautiful. That's wonderful. Don't under-celebrate that. But at the same time, don't ignore the reality that he not only died and rose, he ascended. He sat down at the right hand of the Father and he promised his apostles that power was coming via the Holy Spirit. And there's going to be this communion and relationship with the triune God and it's on that basis that we go and proclaim this Jesus is Lord and Christ. That sounds a little bit different than the evangelistic approach that says, let's go out there and tell everybody that Jesus loves them and has a great plan for their life. I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't love people and that he doesn't have great plans for our life. But what if his great plan is to call you to die in his name? What if his great plan for your life is to suffer with cancer with joy that's unspeakable and full of glory because it testifies of the greater reality, not just of things that are on earth. We're not people who just stare at circumstantial realities and let our emotions flow from there. We are people who set our mind on things that are above, not on earth. He's risen, he's ascended to indestructible life and we now have that life in him. And we go in his name and he makes himself known through us, through his church. We don't scatter with the mission to only proclaim. We're not gonna proclaim less than this, but we don't scatter with the mission to only proclaim forgiveness of sins in his name and hope that we can be convincing enough to get people to turn over a new leaf. We go in power because he ascended, declaring he is Lord in Christ and he's really alive He's really present and his kingdom is still advancing. A little taste and I'll shut it down right here. Look at it on the screen. Ephesians 2 verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we are dead and our trespasses made us alive to with Christ, together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Awesome, right? Look at the next verse. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might be able to show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We're seated with him now. And we go in his name. You want to lean into that? Boy, I do. Let's ask for the Lord's help. I feel so inadequate, Lord. So inadequate. Because I spend so much of my life 
doing ordinary things with nothing but an ordinary expectation. And I come and I read your word and my mind is so blown. As I see who you are and what you accomplished, as I picture you seated at the right hand of the Father, as I I hear the elders and the living creatures and the angels erupting with a thunderous praise as you ascend to the ancient of days, worthy. And somehow, in some strange and mysterious way, I'm seated with you there. And I don't know that I fully understand it. I don't know that I fully understand this power that has come. But I believe it. I believe it. And I want to know more. And I I want us as a church to know more. I want us to go about our ordinary days and our ordinary things with anything but an ordinary expectation. Because you are Lord in Christ and you are with us. And the Father is with us and the Spirit is with us and in us. And we are seated with you in heavenly places. We're a part of a kingdom that has come, is still coming, will one day come in its fullness, and it is indestructible. It will never end. So Lord, help us, not only when we're at church, not only when we're reading our Bibles and when we're praying, but when we're mulching our yards and talking to our neighbors when we're at the grocery store, when we're at work, when we stop to help another person, to not just think that our goal is charity, but that we get to participate with you in you making yourself known. We ask for your help now as we go in your name. Amen. See you next week. We hope you've been blessed by this message from Resurrection Church. Please visit resfaith.com. That's R-E-Z faith.com where you can find more sermon archives, learn more about our church, and find a place to give to our ministry. We'd be glad to hear from you. Drop us an email at connect at resfaith.com.